All right, good morning, everyone. It is great to be back. We had a family reunion last week, so while I was out stuffing my face with food all weekend, uh, Pastor Will was able to come and really deliver a very meaningful sermon last week. Almost so good that I thought I shouldn't preach on fasting this week because um, he was like, he said everything there was. And then he actually said, no, you should consider this one piece that I briefly had thought but didn't really entertain. And so um, this morning we're going to be looking at fasting. Uh, you know, our sermon series has been going on for some months is, is living a life of spiritual renewal. And a lot of this life of renewal that we're focusing on really includes, um, if you've been in church for some time, this is maybe some Christianese for you, but this idea of spiritual disciplines, right? Practices that are located in scripture that have been happening amongst God's people for, for millennia that help cultivate you know, a, a life of renewal, not just moments of renewal, but, but continuous renewal. And so, um, this little mini sermon series on fasting. Fasting is an important part. Am, am I popping? Um, I don't know. And so, if, again, if you haven't listened to last week's sermon, as Will talked about fasting for the purpose of, of cultivating holiness in our lives, please check that out. It's really a, a great sermon. But this week, we're looking at fasting from a slightly different angle. And chances are, maybe you, you haven't heard a sermon actually about this. I actually haven't. And so we're going to be looking at fasting as a way to stand with the poor. You say, well, that's interesting. Well, it's straight from Scripture. If you want to open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 58, the Red Pew Bibles, it's page 735. Isaiah chapter 58. We'll be going through most of that. As you're flipping there um, in your Bibles, I'm going to give some statistics for you this morning. 34 million Americans face hunger every day. It's close to 10%. One out of six children face hunger every day. One out of six. Essentially, it boils down to about one out of 10 people have a, 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 a regular um, reality of, of food insecurity. Yet, in America, the average family of four wastes $1,500 of food every year. In total, this is a real statistic, in our country, we throw away in the garbage 80 to 160 billion, with a B, pounds of food every year. So it's 10% of our country with, um, I'm going to get in the microphone because I'm pretty, let me just do this. There we go. We good? So it's almost 10% of our country faces hunger every day. We throw, around, throw away um, over 100 billion pounds of food. So I mention that, okay, because um, there's something about God is mentioned hundreds of times, literally hundreds of times, that I don't know if, if American evangelicalism, if you want to use that phrase, a church kind of like ours, um, and a couple of generations, I don't know if we've done the best job at defining this. Psalm 84, 89, verse 14, we read this at the beginning of our service. It, it spoke of the, 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 the throne of God being built on two foundations, justice and righteousness. Like that's what he's sitting on. Like that's what undergirds his authority, justice and righteousness. 
Um, in our land of abundance, um, we need to look at the question of justice. We're going to see how fasting is related to that. I think we've done a great job as a church, capital C, kind of, you know, American churches, defining, you know, how to be righteous and, and how to, you know, walk in his ways and, and, you know, the battle of sin and spiritual practices and all that's really, really good and really important. And that's a huge part of the battle, but I don't know if we've done a great job at speaking of justice. Our culture right now has a lot to say about justice. And so actually for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about justice as a spiritual practice in further depth, because the way our culture defines justice is, is not quite exactly how scripture defines it. But we're going to look at today how fasting can actually be a vehicle to drive us towards acts of mercy and justice that the Lord God loves and desires us to do. And we're going to be looking broadly at just um, not only fasting, but how when we approach God, seeking his vision for our life, seeking the, the, the ways that he has laid out for us to walk in, um, how to ensure that we're, we're truly listening to his vision and not asking him to join our own vision for our life. And we'll see how those two things are related in Psalm 58 or Isaiah 58. So let's look at this. Beginning Isaiah 58. This is a word of the Lord. We'll start verses 1 through 3. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Lord, I, just, I, I pray that the, the authority of your scriptures will be just above us this morning. The Holy Spirit, you would speak. Um, to us that your word help me to just carefully articulate these things Lord that your heart would be captured uh, your words would just be uh, what is heard this morning and not my own in Jesus name we pray amen so there's a rebellion that God is initially addressing among his people and, and he says you know address it loudly okay uh, at first you're like that doesn't really quite appear to be a rebellion look at verse 2 again day after day they seek me out they seem eager to know my ways Great. Like I, I would hope our our church, for example, will be known as a, as people who are eager uh, in seeking God out and eager to know His ways. Doesn't sound too bad initially. Um, and, he, and he says, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. As if. So there, as they're crying out for God, there's there, there's something missing right in this. Um, they're crying out to God as if righteousness actually, you know, describes their life. If it's e if their righteousness is equal to their hunger for God, and this is what he's looking at, they, they, they ask me for just decisions that seem eager for God to come near them. Again, that's not a bad thing. They seem eager for this, but something's missing. And verse three kind of, kind of helps us understand in terms of fasting. They say, why have we fasted? They say, and you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves? and you have not noticed? What they've done is taken a spiritual practice, fasting, okay, 
in the, um, in the uh, Old Testament law, there's only really one time when fasting was kind of demanded by Scripture. And it was on, on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. Um, perhaps there was, uh, that's what's being referenced. Maybe there was other practices of fasting that had been picked up and uh, as means to kind of, you know, hear from God, to be closer to God, similar to maybe how we do it today. We're not quite sure what fasts they were doing, but nevertheless, their question is, God, we're fasting, but you haven't seen it. It's like you're, you're not even looking at us. Like, we, we've humbled ourselves. Fasting's hard. Look at us. Like, why aren't you listening? Why aren't you seeing what we're doing? By implication, they're saying, nothing appears to be changing about our situation, even though we're obedient. What's going on? In other words, what's the point of this? If we're fasting and nothing's changing, then what's the point of doing something like this? Um, there's a backwards notion that we're going to be looking at this morning. So I'm going to help inform um, fasting and help inform a, a huge part of our Christian life. But the issue here, as we're going to see, is that they're, they're essentially saying, Lord, um, we're doing this and we're asking you to come and to respond to the ways in which we are trying to meet you. Instead of saying, Lord, what are you asking of us? Why would you have us fast and how, we, how can we respond to you? Does this make sense? That's an absolutely crucial thing to be talking about that off and on throughout our time. Um, if you've you know, lived in our country for any amount of time or had any kind of brush with what I can negatively call religion, um, this is how empty religion is formed. Okay, We take things that God has commanded, something like fasting, and we essentially say, how can we, you know, I don't know, manipulate God by doing these things and get him to respond to us? Example, if you were a kid, you've done this, and you know you have, so don't hide. You know, you really wanted something from your parents, okay? And, um, and you're like, how can I get this from them? You know what? I'm going to be, like, super nice today. Like, really nice but you know the kid always messes up you always mess up because you end up being like too nice so you're you know opening can I do the laundry for you mom today you look so tired you know have a seat and whatever after a while you know parents start dumb they would say you're being too nice and there's an obvious question to ask what do you what do you want what what are you up to here what do you want now if our parents aren't you know that naive it's amazing how sometimes we approach God with the same mentality. You know? We adopt, you know, holy practices and we go to church, we do things and we say like, well, God, I just need you to fix something. So I've seen this so many times in pastoral ministry. You know, uh, the crisis happens, difficulty happens. And the person who's like scarcely in church suddenly is just there like every week and they're involved in everything and they're serving every single thing we're doing and they're there and they're hungry and then you know, life kind of gets better and poof, they're gone again. It's like, where did they go? What happened? They were here like every hour and now they're gone. And they're playing that game with God, saying, well, I got what I needed from him. And so, you know, I don't know if I need much of him right now. Life is okay again, so I'm going to drift away. They were trying to get something from God. They perceived that they did. And then their relationship with God was built on their own needs, on their own terms. And then they're done. And this is a form of what's happening here. They're fasting to get something from God. They're fasting that he may respond to them. If you want to use this word, which I think you can, um, the word paganism can be thrown around a lot. This is actually a very pagan idea. 
in its like authentic form. Like ancient paganism, this was it. This was an influence from the other nations around them. This is not a scriptural thing. This is how other nations lived. They went to the pagan temples. They engaged in pagan worship to manipulate those gods to respond and to bring rain or whatever it might have been. Okay, so they're trying to play that game. There's also a little bit of a modern ethos that we can talk about in this approach here. Okay, um, it's very present in 2023. It's tricky, so just bear with me here. Um, it's becoming more and more prevalent, especially as in our age of digital media. The ethos here is kind of, um, the tendency can be that when we come to God and we want to follow him, we, we want to follow him according to our own understanding and not even God's understanding. And what can happen here is that we love to find preachers and teachers that really kind of, you know, match your own understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. You, you pick them out, you're like, that one agrees with me. I like this gal, I like that girl, I like this whatever. And then you kind of attach yourself to all their teachings all the time in your car, on podcasts, at home, wherever it is. And you actually end up like even isolating yourself from the local church whom you actually can see face to face and have some kind of relational authority as a body of Christ, but you, you're feeding yourself from somebody you, you only really agree with. And there's no real accountability in that relationship because it's a screen face on the sermon in Ohio or something. And that's kind of like your Christian life. And what you've done is taken your own terms of what you think it means to follow Jesus. That person agrees with me and I'm living there right now. And what this is, is kind of an expression and, um, of really trying to maintain authority over your life on your terms. Like you're, you're trying to follow Jesus on your terms and what you're really, what you're really expressing is you, you still have kind of a control over your life. You're still exercising a control over your life by choosing the people that speak to you and choosing the people that don't speak to you. And then um, eventually this, this will just create confusion. This will, this, this will um, uh, create selfishness. It cultivates a self-centeredness rather than a other-centeredness. And so th- there's, there's some of that here as well, but I want to look at what God corrects them with because it can bring um, correction to this and realign us into the very life that God wants us to live versus a life that we think we ought to live and to use God to accomplish um, that very thing. So God looks at them. He says in verse three, he says, um, yet on the day you're fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Check this out. On the days that they're fasting, he says, you do as you please. And he gave some examples. You're exploiting your workers. You're actually like fist fighting one another. Um, this is kind of funny. It's like I'm fasting, but I'm like punching people the day I fast. Like it's kind of humorous. But the, the hyperbole is kind of listed here as just examples of how on the day where they're supposed to be emptying themselves out to hear from God and respond, they're showing that their hearts are still self-centered. They're still pursuing their own desires, but they're trying to add a little God in there and they're actually, it's not transforming them. It's not affecting them. It's not leading to renewed life, this practice of fasting. They're still doing as they please, all the while trying to, you know, bring God into their own theology, their own understanding of him. And he's not responding. They're saying, I don't understand what's going on here. God cannot be manipulated and he is not so cheap as to be tricked by our religious actions. 
and giving into what you want from him. So often that's what we're doing in these cases. We imagine what we need from him and we pursue him to say, give me, God, what I think I need. But there's an important question in these, all these kind of relationships and religious ways and you know, our echo chambers that we, that we develop. You know, like, there's an important question that I think we often refrain from asking. Have we often said, Lord, what is your vision for my life? What does your word say? What does this thing say rather than my own heart and what it says? Because there's a fast that God, and look at the question in verse five here. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? See that question in verse five? Is this my vision for what you're trying to do here? Is this what I had in mind when I introduced fasting among my people? Like, is this, is this what I have chosen? And he says in verse 5, only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? In other words, they're fasting this one day. They're all humbled and, you know, they're woe is me and have sackcloth and ashes on but they're fighting each other. They're exploiting people and justice is being done by their own hands. It's like, this isn't what I had in mind, just doing some empty ritual here. You need to ask the right question. What have I chosen for you? What have I chosen for you? The posture of the Christian must begin by seeking God's vision for us, by seeking God's heart for us. We cannot get that backwards. We cannot imagine that God wants to match what we, what our heart wants. We have to say, what do you want from me? Because from that external place, the key to this is realizing, and this is against the modern ethos, this is against our modern cultural times, okay? We we, we have to go outside of ourselves to understand where we are to walk in our life. We have to get outside of ourselves here. We have to get outside of our own heart, of our own thoughts, our own feelings and emotions to say, what is God asking of me? What is the way that he wants me to walk in? What does he ask me to do? Not what do I want to do and throw a little bit of the God, you know, things here or there. In 2023, I believe we are far too trusting of ourselves and our emotions as reliable guides for life. But this sermon is specifically about fasting. I'm kind of zooming out a little bit. So let's look at fasting here as a way that this can actually begin transforming us. Because this is a spiritual practice not just meant to do and to be done. He wants your transformation. He wants all of you. Not just your heart. If your heart is changed, it's going to affect your behavior and your life. You're going to embody a change tower. However slow it gets there, it's a process. But he wants all of you. And this is what he's saying. Like, I want all of you, guys. Look at verse 6. Here's the fasting that God has chosen for them. He says this. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Now, initially, you read that and say, what? Like last week, Will talked about it. I thought fasting was the absence of food. But that's what it is. Does this have anything to do with fasting at all? 
What kind of fasting is this? Loosen the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, to share food with the hungry, provide poor light. How is this fasting? Now, you remember that God accused them of this disordered life while trying to do this religious behavior, right? Um, their lives did not actually mirror the heart of God, even if this one spiritual practice of fasting was present. They had decided on their own terms what it means to follow God, right? And their lives were actually being transformed. And this is what happens. When we come up with our own ways to follow after God, you're going to lack transformation, but inter- interestingly enough, right here, he says, um, you know, uh, uh, fasting, as we abstain from food, the spiritual practice, it, it really should have the effect of driving us to serve others, to love others in need, rather than merely serving your own needs. Because again, they were fasting to get something from God, and he's saying, no, you're missing the point of a practice like this. You're missing the point of a practice. Fasting is a a pathway to holiness as any other spiritual practice is. We're going to talk about a lot this summer. They're all just one little kind of way that we can engage and have as a rhythm in our life to to be more like him, to desire God more and more. But as we do that, as we grow through these practices, we must realize that our life needs to also be transformed to reflect the very heart of God. And this is an absolutely crucial part of following Jesus. Um, It's really honestly possible, if we don't preach in this way, if we don't talk about these things, it's possible to come to church and to hear and stuff your head with knowledge, but leave unformed. It really is. You could actually live all of your Christian life just going to church and learning a lot about Jesus, but never actually living the way that he did. I mean, what else are we supposed to be here for, right? And these are the kind of scriptures that we need to look at. This is why the spiritual disciplines exist. These practices exist to transform us as we engage them. So I want to look at how fasting is related to standing with the poor and serving the poor. Okay, because it's deeply related, and we're going to look at this. First, we need to kind of zoom out and look at a theology of all of Scripture, really the kingdom in terms of of, um, what this transformation, uh, how it should come from fasting when we find ourselves serving those in need. So understanding that Jesus is our Lord and King, and it means like, like when we meet Jesus and we're following after him, he's our King. We're living as a people ruled by King Jesus. So wherever we go, we are carrying around a glimpse of life as Jesus is as king, right? This is the, the very first words of Jesus' very first sermon, okay? It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was his very first sermon, the very first line of his first sermon, In God's place is where God is king. Jesus is king. He was there. Therefore, the kingdom was there. And in God's place, as the Old Testament prophets testify, um, as well as the book of Revelation, that we see that one day, this kingdom where God rules and reigns is coming to earth in perfection. It's called the new heavens and the new earth. That's how the Bible ends. When he returns to this world, he will rule this world in perfection. Sin and death will be done forever and ever. And there are certain things that describe this future place of the new heavens and the new earth. We see in Revelation 22, 21 through 22, that um, it, it says in this future place, there's no mourning 
or crying or tears or pain any longer. There's no more death. And then we see in Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, the angel showed me. This is John who got a glimpse of this place. There's a river with a water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with each crop, a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. In other words, this tree is going to have year year-round fruit month after month after month is just one part of this place meaning there's no scarcity of food in this place there's no hungry in this future new heavens and new earth this is the world as it should have been this is a world that god designed it to be and only when sin and brokenness and death enter this world is when things like hunger and thorns and dry ground and lack of rains as the curse came upon this world So to live a life that mirrors the heart of God, then to understand what the mission of Jesus was, to die for our sin, but to give a glimpse to this world of the kingdom of God, we are sent to do acts of justice as his people. Because that's the heart of God. His throne sits upon justice and righteousness. So we strive against things like hunger, things like homelessness, because we want to give the world a glimpse of the new heavens and the new earth, where those things will forever be eradicated. Psalm 130, verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Psalm 31, 8 through 9, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for all the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So living in God's kingdom and in the ways of heaven go hand in hand with a life full of action that mirrors the very heart of God. So back to fasting. What does this have to do with fasting? Fasting has always been a very common way to, to, to catch this heart of God in our own lives. Um, fasting has been a common method of protesting against injustice, for example. Um, Gandhi he, he you know, a lot of his, his life, you know, he is questionable of his beliefs in Christ, understanding of scripture, but he still modeled a lot of his ministry after Jesus. There's 18 public fasts that he did as a protest against his freedom movement against the British, where he was identifying with the poor and with those being oppressed in India by intentionally depriving himself of food and of his followers as protests, as a nonviolent protest to say we are identifying with those who are oppressed by voluntarily oppressing ourselves in hopes that we may eventually reverse this injustice. Um, there's a pastor named David Dunn Comby uh, in the, uh, I think about 20 years ago, um, in the halls of Congress, he spent 45 days fasting in his early 70s as he begged and pleaded for Congress to pass H.R. 1095, which was a bill that would relieve unnecessary uh, debt of some of the world's most impoverished nations, uh, freeing up money to help feed their own starving populations. Uh, He brought himself almost to the point of starvation, but eventually his protests worked and they passed the bill and he said this, because the one goal of this ministry was to help save thousands of lives each day from starvation, to risk death by starvation myself was a morally acceptable means to this end. It's interesting, right? It's just another, it's an example of how fasting can be used as a way to relate to the poor and to um, fight injustice. But in church history, this is, this is a call for us in our land of abundance. If you're asleep, you know, listen to this story. In church history, before the age of abundance of food that we live in, when Christians fasted, 
right? It was indeed to help cultivate holiness in their life and to practice their freedom in Christ over their own urges and desires. But what would happen is when they didn't eat that day, they saved money. Now, instead of saving that money, they got that money. And instead of buying the food to feed their own families, they took that money and that food that they, they would purchase food and would go make sure that those in their communities who did not have food would then have it. And their means of fasting then was a way to, to relate to their condition, to identify with their hunger by intentionally being hungry themselves. And knowing that as I'm pursuing God in holiness, as I'm pursuing to, to have a mastery over my own desires through fasting, I'm also aware that there's lots of injustice in this world and I want to catch the heart of God in my fasting. Therefore, I voluntarily fast today and free up money that may go help serve and feed those in need today. Because in that way, your pursuit of holiness is leading to an outward action that is reflecting the very heart of God himself. Are you guys tracking with this this morning? Fasting then, in so many different ways, is a a way that we can stand with the poor today. So really, as we, this sermon, as we see in Isaiah, I know it's, it's, it's covering a handful of topics here, but I want to speak broadly and then specifically once again. It broadens our understanding of why we fast. And it brings fasting to something more than merely serving ourselves. And this applies to all the spiritual disciplines. We can't use these things to serve ourselves and to manipulate God to get him to do what what we want him to do for us. No, these practices are given to us that we may learn to embody and to catch the heart of God and to free us up to serve the poor financially and also with compassion, especially as it relates to fasting, right? We'll mention this last week, but it's worth repeating. Any of these practices, if you only have them to serve yourself, that's not the heart of God, okay? And this is where we have to look at Jesus. Um, um, well, okay, we'll get to that in a second. Um, no, we're not. We're going to talk about that right now. That's okay. Our lives are cross-shaped as Christians. The reference point for our life, for fasting, for any of these things, these things is the cross. Because the cross is the place where we learn of God and we see that he is a self-emptying God. He is one that gave himself up for others. If we want to know what kind of fashion, what kind of life, what kind of vision that he has for us, the reference point is to look to the cross. These, these Israelites are looking first to their own heart and then looking to God. No, If your life is not being given up for the sake of others, you're missing the point of of following Jesus. He says to take up your cross and to follow him. And he says that those, when they do this, they're going to be losing their life. You're going to lose your life as you do this. As you fast and you're, you're depriving yourself for food and you're, and you're driving yourself to pray for those in need and even give to those in need, you're, you're actually losing your life in doing that. But Jesus says, but that's where you find it. That's where you find it. That's where life is found. And this is where we go to our text again in Isaiah, is that they started off, they actually were hungry for God, okay? But their following of him was all mixed, mashed, and backwards, Right? 
But when we learn to, to, to embody the things that God wants us to do, we ask, what is your vision for this? When we learn to practice these things according to his vision, those original desires become fulfilled. They end up finding the God that they were looking for. They end up actually learning that they, they have him and learning that he wants to reveal himself to him. And we, it's, it's like when we learn to, to live in the ways of God, we realize that we are learning more about him as we're living like him, that he is revealing himself and his heart to us more as our own heart becomes attached to his heart. And this is what the, the thrust is in the second half of this chapter in verse 8. It says, then your light will break forth like the dawn as they learn to fast and to, you know, be drawn to serve others. Your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with a yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry, you see that? Giving yourself up in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. When they were trying to fast in order to achieve those things, to bring their healing, what their need was, right? That's, the, that's what religion, the false empty religion teaches us. We do these things to get those things from God. And he says, no, 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 follow me. Learn my heart, embody my heart, and those things will come. That's why Jesus said, seek the kingdom first, and all these things will be added to you. If you're here this morning, and you feel like maybe your life is in ruins. Did you hear about the ancient ruins being rebuilt here? Delaware is old, there's lots of ruins around. And this is an odd way to say this perhaps, but I think this is a biblical heart here. If you're here and you feel kind of emptied out this morning, like there's ruins inside of here, you feel a bit dried up, and the tendency inside is to say, well, I just need to do X, Y, Z and all these religious things, and maybe God can rebuild those ruins. He's calling us to think about this differently. He said, why don't you stand up, right? Practice fasting, for example. I was talking about fasting this morning, and go and serve somebody else. Go and, and, and give up your own freedom just even for a day and go and serve somebody else. And then you will be healed, says the Lord in Isaiah. Is that not the cross-shaped life? Is that not what Jesus stood as our example? Is that not what he did when he came to this earth? Was he not known as, as the one who was tired and exhausted but saw the crowds and he had compassion and then he still gave himself over and he ministered? The cross-shaped life is one of serving others, and that brings us healing. So maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Turn your eyes off of your own heart, look at Christ, and follow in his ways. Practice fasting and see the healing that he can bring. 
Take up your cross and follow after him and lose your life and you will find life. You know, the invitation really here to these Israelites was to, and I can say it this way, let's put on the shoes of Christ and walk in his ways and allow him to define that sort of life as his follower. And just to challenge you guys, um, some of you will have an insert in your bulletin. Some of you may not. I didn't print off enough, so I apologize. But as we talk about fasting as a way to cultivate renewal, the question is, is, is that a part of your life? We'll ask this question last week. Is fasting a part of your life? Consider fasting not just for your holiness, but to cultivate compassion for the poor and hungry around you. To bring those statistics home, one out of ten people in Delaware face food insecurity regularly. You know what that means? In this room, there's not just one of you. In this room, there are multiple people, statistically speaking, who have food insecurity in this very room. So as we're chasing after a life of Christ, I'm going to ask one thing. If that's you today, I want to ask two things. If you're in this room and you're food insecure, I want this church to be known. Nobody in Emmanuel's ranks should be hurting in that way. Because we are going to be a family of generosity and compassion and take one step and say, not in this church will anybody struggle with food insecurity. But that's going to be dependent on if that's you this morning and you're food insecure, to not be ashamed and to come forward. Because we want to be the hands and feet of Christ. We want to practice these things. So come forward. We would love to make sure that is not your reality because that is the heart of Christ. We want to embody that. Amen? So can we please do that? In terms of our community, as a church community, we want to cultivate this kind of life. And so we did start a food pantry here. It's new. It's on our third Thursday of each month. Um, We want to expand this reach, uh, continue to expand that ministry, because we want to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. Um, As we hand food to those, we want to pray with them and tell them the good news of Jesus. Here's some relief from food insecurity in the name of Jesus. Um, We want to do that. We want to consider also fasting a way to challenge you. If there's a next national, you know, school shooting or something, right, or even a local tragedy, what if we engage fasting as a way of lament, of mourning for that loss, to to draw our hearts into compassion for that need, and then we maybe even drive up and go serve those in need. These are the things we want to lean into as a church body. And so I want to call the worship team up as we're on the back end of our sermon house. We're seeking to close. It's really a call, kind of the, of the book of James, and also of Jesus, right? These are the things that should mark our life. Following Jesus is hard, and I never want to be accused of being a church that is making it too easy to follow Jesus. It's hard. He called us to, uh, to, to really know the cost of following him, but all the promises that are attached to the healing and the life that is available for us as we do so. So if some of you are here this morning, have people praying up front, if there's a complacency in your life, when you hear this, you're like, I, I want 
more of God. Like I want to know him. I want to embody his ways. There's just like barriers in here and there's just like some selfish, just like dirt that I got to turn from. Like, please come forward and just can we pray for you? I know these things are hard. I know they're not easy, but he promised he, through his spirit, he said, I'm here to help you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to empower you to, to live this way. And no time is better than today to take a step forward and commit to this and say, Lord, I, I want to learn your compassion for the poor and for the hurting. I want to embrace these things. Today is the day to come up and to, to fight against that complacency and, and, um, uh, and show yourself in humility. The second thing is really a call if you're here and you feel dried up and you could identify with feeling like you're here in ruins this morning. We want to minister to you. Um, whatever the Lord may have been speaking and stirring in your heart in terms of response this morning, like please come forward. He wants to give you life. And these, these kind of ways that we're speaking of this morning are available to us and healing is available for you. It's just a call to step forward in that, to come forward and to respond to that. So, um, uh, please stand this right now and let me pray for you guys. We're going to sing. People will be available up front um, uh, in the song and after the song. And so, Jesus, we, um, we love you, Lord. Help us not to um, uh, just empty ourselves up of religious action, Lord, of trying to, you know, uh, try to get things from you through our obedience, Lord. Free us from that, Lord. Unleash us to, to learn your heart, Lord. Uh, kill the complacency inside of us through your spirit, Lord. Challenge us in a life of just regular rhythms of fasting, Lord, that we may just be uh, learning your heart for justice, learning your heart for the poor as we identify with them. Thank you, Jesus. You are an example. The one who gave himself up for us, Lord. Help us to give a glimpse to this world and to Wilmington of the age that is to come, of this new heavens and the new earth where, where sin and death and hunger and all these things are eradicated once and for all. Equip us as a church to be bearers of this good news of salvation and, Lord, of your hands and feet of relief from this broken world. Empower us for those things, Lord. Burn in us a desire for those things, Lord. Stir in us, Jesus, a desire for these things, Lord. Yes, Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Please come forward and respond today as we sing this last song.